Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning. And uh, I want to thank these guys uh, this morning for coming up. And uh, Caleb has the, uh, had the day off today. Um, but uh, Leanne and Jess, along with Caleb, uh, were in the school musical Thursday and Friday and just sang their hearts out. And I'm sure their voices have got to be tired this morning. I know Jess's is because she was coughing today as she was going through practice and everything. But they came today and, and led us in worship. So thank you, guys. And uh, thank you, Dalton wherever he, he was here a second ago for helping as well. So um, one thing I forgot to mention, if you're new this morning with us and you've never been here before, uh, if you take out one of these connection cards and uh, just give us some information about you, and uh, after the service is done, you can take it back to the Connection Center, and uh, we've got a nice gift for you. So uh, make sure if you're new this morning, you take some time to do that. But as so we begin this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you've got them, to the book of Colossians. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles this morning, everything will be up on the screen for you, or you can check it out in our app. But uh, Book of Colossians this morning, as we turn to, uh, to chapter 1, uh, we're going to be looking through chapter 1. I want to make a statement this morning that might set some of you back a little bit, and uh, may sound a bit shocking to some of you. Uh, but uh, some of you, after I've, I've said this statement, might think maybe I've lost it or whatever. But uh, uh, here's the statement. Are you ready? This is the statement. Uh, they've already got it up there. Don't put Jesus first in your life, okay? Don't put Jesus first in your life, life never again. Don't put Jesus first in your life. Now, before you decide that I've gone just completely crazy, I want to explain to you what I've just said and why I said it. If you've got a church background, right, which most of us in here probably do, then you've probably heard it taught before that Jesus should come first in your life. Right, maybe even throughout your life you've seen someone draw it on a board or maybe on a piece of paper, like on a legal pad or whatever, and you've even written down and said, you know what, here are my priorities. And you put Jesus first, right, and then your, and then your family, and then your friends, and then your career, and here's the problem with this list and, and really kind of this thought, is that Jesus never intended for our relationship with him to be compartmentalized so that he kind of becomes, right, this bullet on our priority list, right? Jesus never intended to be where we would put him first and then everything else would come after him. Here's the truth of what Jesus came to accomplish, right? He doesn't want to be first in your life. Jesus wants to be the very center of your life. As a matter of fact, when we make Jesus the part of a list, what we find is that everything else that we have on that list continually competes with him. And when that happens, what we find is that our priorities are constantly getting messed up. However, we'll see that when Christ is placed at the very center of our lives and we live our lives, as Paul describes here in the, in the book of Colossians, as in Christ, and we realize that that his life in us and through us begins to overflow into every other part of our lives. Right? Our relationship for us men with our wives and for women with your husbands, our relationship with Jesus will begin to overflow into those relationships. For those of you who maybe have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, when Jesus is at the center of your life, that relationship with Jesus should overflow into that other relationship. How we handle our finances will flow out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. How we make career decisions will overflow out of that relationship with Jesus Christ. How we spend our time 
right? How we prioritize our time will overflow out of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our world will deeply be impacted by the overflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we start the message this morning, I want to give you a little context about this this book of Colossians that we're going to be reading through today. Now, the book of Colossians was written to a very small uh, group of people who met in a home, in a church, in a little city uh, called Colossae. If you were to look for that city on the map today, you wouldn't find it because it's no longer there. It was located just a little bit southwest of Turkey. And this particular church, what's going on in this book is they're experiencing a couple issues, right? Really kind of two two, uh, predominant issues as Paul's writing this letter. And one is that this church was really getting hammered with Greek philosophy that argued against the existence and the authority of Jesus Christ. Right? God was just kind of another part of the God system for them. But Jesus, right, these Greeks not really sure about that. And he certainly, in their eyes, had no authority. But then at the same time, they were also getting hit with Jewish legalism, which said that if you called yourself a Christian and you're going to truly follow the ways of Christianity, then you also needed to follow Jewish law to be considered to be a good Christian. Now, when you hear that, I would say that not much really has changed in our society up to this point today, right? I mean, we are surrounded every day with a growing world philosophy, a growing number of people who call themselves atheists that say that God is nothing more than a myth that was concocted centuries ago. And that Jesus is nothing more than a man who claimed to be a God and then died, allowing a bunch of people to create a religion that does nothing more than control people. So simply put, Christ is not supreme, so he cannot be all sufficient to meet our needs today. On the other hand, for those of us who do believe in God, who do believe that Jesus is his son, who died for the sins of mankind, and we've given our lives to him, we're still getting hit, right? We're getting, getting hit uh, at every turn with the idea that Christianity is about keeping this list of rules, that it's about this list of regulations that we have to look at every morning rather than experiencing the abundant life that is found only in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we see in this letter that Paul writes to this small church in Colossae that he's encouraging them not only to have this right view of God, but also to have this right view of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is supreme. That Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet every need that we have in our lives. In other words, Christ is enough. And really, I mean, that's kind of the book of Colossians in a nutshell. Everything that we need in this life can be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything that we need in this life not only can but should overflow out of our relationship with Jesus Christ because he is enough. Now I realize that when you get people together, even in a crowd this size, that there's always people that are going to struggle right, with the doubt about the idea of Jesus. I mean, maybe you're here today and you see him as this supreme being, but you're struggling this morning with the idea that that Jesus is truly sufficient, that Jesus is truly sufficient and capable of handling the problems and the issues of your life. As a matter of fact, I would say that a lot of people struggle with the idea of letting anyone but ourselves be the very center of our world. Why? Because we like to be in the center, don't we? We may not say that, but if you look at the way we operate, If you look at the way we handle our finances, if you look at the way way we deal with our relationships, we like the world to revolve around us. 
But see, the problem with that mindset is that things don't work out in our lives when we have placed ourselves at the very center of things. And the reason is because God has created each and every one of us with this void in our lives that can only be filled with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he created a world around us that only runs well when Jesus is at the very center of it and everything else flows from there. I mean, seriously, could you look at the world today Look at the world around us. I mean, think about it. Turn on your TV at any point in the day and say that things are running very smoothly in this world. You can't. And they won't until Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom here on earth. Well, this morning what I want to do is since we may have some skeptics like we just talked about in here this morning, I want to start here with this question. Why does Jesus deserve to be the center of anything? I mean, why should I put Jesus at the very center of my life? Well, Paul begins to talk about this in chapter 1. And Paul makes this statement. He says this. He says that he, meaning Jesus, is the image of God. Verse 15, right? He's the image of the invisible God. Now, the word image in the original Greek is the English word for icon. And an icon is normally what we think of when we think of things like a statue or a portrait or a photograph. And so what Paul says here is he says Jesus is a picture of God. Right? When Jesus came to earth, it was God coming in the form of a man. I mean, you want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. You want to see how God would react in a certain situation that maybe you're going through in your life right now. You look at how Jesus reacted to that when he was here on earth because he is the image of God. And what that means is, is that Jesus is God. In the Bible, many times Jesus used words to describe himself. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And it says, and the word was God. Now, if you were to look at that very same verse in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, it's called the New World Translation, what they do is they add one little word to that verse. And in their translation, it says this, and the word was a God. Now, I want you to know that that one little letter change makes a huge difference, right? Makes a huge difference because we need to understand that Jesus isn't just a God. Jesus is God. He is the Son of God, but Jesus is also God the Son, and he is God in the flesh, And so he's the image of God. Then Paul goes on and talks about the fact that Jesus is the creator of the universe. Look at what verse 15 says. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It says, For in him, meaning Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. It says, All things were created through him and for him, that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now I've got to tell you this morning, there is so much packed into those few verses right there. When it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, we need to understand that doesn't mean that God created Jesus. What it means is that Jesus deserves to be the very center of all things. Right? Jesus uh, was before all things, and Jesus is the one who called all things into existence. And so Paul says everything that's visible, Everything that's invisible, Paul says all thrones, all powers, all rulers, all authorities, that Jesus has rule over all and everyone around us and everything around us. Every being falls under the rule of Jesus Christ. 
Now, there's a lot of people that live today with this delusion that ultimately they are in control of things around them, right? That they're in control of their bodies, that they're in control of their lives, that they're in control of their destiny, and that's just not true. Because, see, Jesus has ultimate authority over every being born and unborn. He has authority over every angel, over every demon, over every Christian, over every atheist, because he created everything and he rules over all things. And then we see that Paul tells us in this passage here that Jesus is also the head of the church. Look at verse 18. It says, and he, again being Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he may have preeminence. Have you ever wondered why the church is called the body? It's right here. Right, Paul tells us here that Jesus is the, the head of the body. Now we know that when we look at a physical body, the head is the control center of the body, right? I mean, fact is you cannot survive without a head. We can survive without an arm, right? We see people that survive without a leg or both legs, but you have never, ever, ever seen anyone walking around without a head. If you have, you need to run, Right? See, Paul is saying here that Jesus is the head. He's saying that Jesus is the boss, that Jesus is the ruler, that he is the controlling factor of the body. And so whether a church is committee-led, whether a church is elder-led or pastor-led, none of them is right unless Christ is the one running the show, unless Christ is at the very center. See, some churches just make Jesus prominent, right? They have an occasional business meeting and they invite Jesus into the decision after the decision's already been made. Or maybe they throw up some kind of, kind of token prayer to him and they acknowledge his presence and just kind of give him lip service. Listen, we need to understand Jesus doesn't want to be prominent. Jesus wants to be preeminent. And the Bible says that he is preeminent, right? Regardless of where we place Jesus, he is preeminent. See, Jesus doesn't want to just be, you know, uh, high up on a church's priorities. He doesn't want to just be on some list. Jesus wants preeminence. He wants to be on center stage. Jesus doesn't want competition from the pastor. He doesn't want competition from church council. He doesn't want competition from the body or the, the congregation. Jesus wants it all. And when he has it all, and when Jesus has been given the highest place so that everything flows out from him and out and through him, Look, you need to watch out because that church is going to be doing some pretty powerful things in the world. So Jesus is God in the flesh. He's creator of the universe and he's also head of the church. That alone, that alone should be enough to make us want to make him the very center of our lives. But see, God knows us well. Right? He knows that even though we hear stuff like this, we want to know things like, well, okay, how does that apply to me? What difference does that make to my life right now? And so here's a question that I want to answer this morning, and that is this. How can a relationship with Jesus Christ overflow into your world? Well, first of all, because Jesus is the image of God, he can be the source of your strength. Right? See, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, look, you're not just aligning yourself with some good teacher, or you're not just aligning yourself with a certain belief system, or getting this free ticket to heaven. You are connecting your life to the God of the universe, the creator of all things that exist, right? The creator and ultimate authority over everything that has, is, and will ever exist. Paul says in verse 16, it says, for in him, again, talking about Jesus, 
All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Again, that means in this passage here that Jesus has absolute power. And it also means that as his children, he makes that power available to us. What it means is that you don't have to tackle your life in your own limited power and in your own limited ability. To another church in Ephesus, which was just a little east of the church in Colossae, Paul wrote another letter and wrote another book. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, now to him who is able to do infinitely more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now what that means is that without, or I'm sorry, what that means is that with Jesus Christ at the center of your life, you can't lose. Now the flip side of that is true as well, that without him in your life, ultimately you cannot win. There's this phenomenon that we see from time to time in the sports world where one player will be added to a team and it just makes just a world of difference, right? That one person becomes pivotal to that team's ability to win or lose. And you might remember some of you, some of you might be too young for this, but back in the early 90s, we kind of say that this happened with the Chicago Bulls, right? You remember a player, anyone remember a player by the name of Michael Jordan, right? Some people believe that he was the, the greatest basketball player that ever lived, From 1991 to 1993 and 1994 to 1998, the Bulls won six NBA championships. Something happened at the end of 1993. See, with Jordan, the Bulls couldn't lose, but without him, they couldn't win. Why? Because he made that one difference to that team. And see, in that very same way, having Jesus at the center of your life, listen, he gives you that key player advantage, right? With him running point in your life, you can't lose because he is supreme. He's above all things. He gives you strength to face whatever season in life you're in. And then because he is the the creator of the universe, Jesus can also hold your life together. One thing that I've learned as a Christian and serving in ministry is that regardless of how things appear on the outside, no one has it completely together on the inside, right? I mean, life is just this mixture of mountaintop and and valley experiences. And right now in your own life, you're either heading up a mountain or you're on the other side going down into the valley. Verse 17, he says this, he is therefore, or he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You know, throughout my own life, there have been many peaks, many valleys. And when I look back and when I reflect through those times in my life, I stand back and I can realize something was that through all of those times, through the good, the bad, the ugly, through every experience that I have gone through in my life, there was Jesus. Through all of these moments, I can look back and I can see the faithfulness of God and see through all of those moments that it was Jesus that was holding everything together. And some of you this morning, you're experiencing some difficulties in your life right now. Maybe in your life you're struggling with an issue right now. Maybe you've just got some news and it is just overwhelming you. Maybe you're stuck in a sin issue, right? Maybe nobody knows about it. 
but you wake up with it every morning. You go to bed with it every night. You feel like you're a slave to it. Maybe right now, for some of you, you're in a phase of spiritual dryness. Maybe you're in an emotional, emotional situation right now that you can't quite get your hands around with a son or a daughter or some other relationship. Listen, the one thing you can count on in this world is that Jesus is enough to hold your world together. You can also count on the fact that in this world, we are gonna face tough moments. But Jesus can always bring your life back to peace. He can bring it back to center because he is enough. Right? Jesus has enough strength to hold us and to sustain us through the things that we go through in this life. And then because he is the head of the church, Jesus can also be your sustaining peace. Have you ever made this statement before? You say, man, I just wish I could have just a moment of peace. Right? Or just give me, give me just one day of peace. A few years ago, a doctor on the West Coast took an informal poll among his patients to find out if one wish could be granted. Right? If you could have one of your wishes granted, what would that wish be? 87% of his patients responded that they wanted peace of mind. Peace of mind was more important than anything else to these people. Why? Because life is filled with turmoil. Right? For people whose lives are filled with turmoil, just one day of peace, even just one moment of peace seems beyond reach. But the good news is that Jesus wants to fill your life with peace every day. John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling his disciples that he's getting ready to leave. And and here's what Jesus says to them. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And then he goes on in chapter 16, verse 33, and he says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He says, in this world you will have tribulation. Now there's there's a lot of false teaching that goes on in the church today. Right, you hear it on TV, you hear it in churches where if you, just, if you just put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, then everything in your life is just gonna get better automatically. Can I tell you something this morning? That's a lie. You say, well, how do you know that? Because it's right here. Jesus himself says it. Right, he says, on this earth, you're gonna face many tribulations and sorrows, but then he goes on and he says this. He says, but take courage, In other words, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, you can have confidence in me. He says, you can walk through this life with courage. He says, you can walk through this life with boldness because he says, I have overcome the world. I love Philippians chapter four. He says, when we put our issues, when we put our anxieties, when we put our worries before the Lord and we exchange them with words of thanksgiving and with words of praise, what does he say we get? He says we get a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. In other words, we get a peace that we can't even understand how we're getting it. Why? Because Jesus Christ is flowing out of this relationship that's at the very center of our lives. Listen to Colossians chapter one, verse 19. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Now, how does God's peace overflow into your life? How does that work? Well, first we see from this this passage here that God gives you peace with himself, right? There's a, a key word there in verse 20, and that's the word reconcile. And what that word means is it means that God has done his point or, or his part, 
right? God has paved the way for mankind to know Christ, to make things right between God and us, God and mankind. Now, that doesn't mean that all people are going to come to Christ, but here's what it does mean. It means that God has created a way so that all can come to Christ, right? He's made peace with us. And I want you to know that that, 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 that Paul does not say, I want you to notice that, Paul does not say that you were alienated with God and then through your own good works, you're able to get right with God. Or he doesn't say that now because of your own holiness or whatever, that you're blameless before God. See, that's not what Paul says at all. He says you became holy. He says you became blameless because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And that separation that existed between you and God has now been taken away once and for all. In other words, all of your sin has been paid for. All of your sin has been forgiven. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you are made and you are given peace with God. Second thing is this, is that God gives you peace with yourself. I mean, how can we have peace with God? He gives you peace with yourself. And what that means is you don't have to feel guilty about your past. And there are many in this room that are struggling with this issue right now. Right, your past is just kind of like this baggage just dragging behind you all of the time. You feel it when you wake up. You feel it when you, you go to bed. You just cannot let go of your past. See, because the one that you've sinned against has forgiven you, ultimately, you need to realize this morning that God wants to give you that peace with yourself. You don't have to be fear, uh, fearful of the future because the one who controls the future is now willing to lead you. Right, You can have peace with your past, you can have peace with your present, you can have peace with the future because the one who controls all of those things is the one who controls your life. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've had a problem and I've given it to the Lord. And when I do this, listen, there is a peace that floods over me because he is in control. Right, He is in control and the challenges that I face in my life, they're his now to overcome. See, when he's the center of my life, that relationship overflows into my problems. It overflows into my issues, and it just brings a peace. Now, it may not fix the issue immediately. In fact, it might even get worse for a little while. But there's a peace that comes with it. And see, you can do the very same thing for whatever issues in your life you're facing at this moment. See, if Jesus Christ is at the center If Jesus Christ is the the CEO of your life, then you realize that you're not in charge. He is. And when you come to that place and you realize that you have his strength and you have his power in your life and it's available to you at all times, it means that he can hold your life together when you feel like things are spinning out of control. It means that you don't have to be filled with worry or anxiety or fear because Jesus has already overcome all of those things. It means that we can have peace in the midst of whatever crisis comes our way. Whatever decision you can't figure out how to make. When Christ is at the center, right? when Christ is at the center, you let all of that overflow out of your relationship with him and let the peace of God begin to fill your life. And so what does it look like Right? What does it look like to have Jesus at the very center of your world? How do, we, how do we put him there? Well, I think it's a decision that we have to make every single day. In fact, it's a decision that we have to make several times a day. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, I've made a diagram here of kind of how this works. There it is, right? So if you look at the very center of the circle. I've written Matthew 
chapter 6, verse 33, as well as the decision that we have to make, right? That's a decision that we have to make, that Jesus is Lord. I mean, that ultimately is the decision that you have to make in your life. Jesus is Lord. And then out of that should flow all the areas of your life. Listen, when Jesus is at the very center of your world, the Bible tells us that at that moment, everything else should begin to flow from there. And we take him and we put him at the very center, just let everything flow out of that. And this morning... I want every single person in this room to know that you are faced with this very same decision. Is Jesus just going to be some, 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 some list for you? Is Jesus just going to be like a, a bullet point in your life? Or is he going to be the very center of your world? If you pray with me.